Hey there, this is Lucas. And this is Matthias. From the Common Thread Podcast out of the Howard Thurman Center at BU. You'll also be hearing from Kobe. Our first episode of the year is one of a three-part series on mental health on college campuses. The series is a prelude to a coffee and conversation on the subject of mental health on college campuses and specifically at BU, during which we will be discussing many of the issues that came up in this series. Listening will give you a head start on mulling over some of these tough issues. It will be held on Friday, October 14th in the Howard Thurman Center at the usual time from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. We hope you show up willing to listen and ready to share your ideas. The series will culminate with an interview with the Director of Behavioral Health at SHS, Dr. Carrie Landa. That will be the third episode published on October 12th. For today, our guest is a recent graduate who has some great insight on our topic, Emmy Parks. Emmy majored in psychology at BU and has personal experience working with behavioral health at SHS. She is also the director for a group called All for One, which seeks to address the mental health crisis on college campuses. This interview was recorded at the end of last semester in May 2016. Without further ado, here's episode one. Tell us a little bit about All for One. Okay. Um, All for One is a national coalition that um, it's, we don't have like one headquarters. It's um, a bunch of students from different colleges across the nation working together to create this online resource that um, has all of the mental health related resources for each university together and we are hoping to later on contact each university where we have a representative there such as I'm the representative of Boston University to submit a letter saying these are the grievances we see these are the suggestions we give Um, right now we're just really trying to contact as many schools as possible we have uh, we're with uh, schools such as Harvard, Brown, Duke, UCLA, um, Michigan and Ann Arbor, BU, BC. Um, but right now we're very much in our baby stage. When did the pro- when did this start? How did it start and how did you become a part of it? So it started um, about a year ago. I started working on it um, at the beginning of last summer. I got involved because I was um, helping out a little bit with BU's chapter of Active Minds and the president, Victoria, came to me and asked if I was willing to draft out a, um, our letter of grievances and advice that we would give to um, the university and it's through that that I got a leadership position. What was the, what was the motivating idea um, be, behind All for One? Because from, from what it sounds like, your mission is about gathering up as much information as possible about the existing mm-hmm. infrastructure before proceeding with like some kind of policy recommendation. I think one of our big goals is, for example, at BU, there are so many mental health resources that kids are just not, um, they just don't know about. There's the Danielson Institute, there's CARD, there's, um, of course, behavioral health, there's um, so many resources that they're just not aware of, and some are, you know, CARD is just for anxiety, um, and a way to kind of organize all these resources, how to get in contact, where they are, and what is the best fit for you. And how how would you recommend to a student, because we've, we've spoken to people who've had trouble uh, getting in touch with some of these, uh, some of these places, so 
how would you recommend getting in touch with them and what in what ways do you think Boston University is deficient in communicating uh, communicating about these different places these different resources I think first and foremost for anybody who at any university trying to get in touch with their behavioral health um, clinic and they're struggling it's just really just being very persistent um, if you don't hear back from who you're supposed to hear back, you call them back two days later. Um, there's a um, something that I've done before where I can't get in contact with someone, so I just sit in the clinic and I wait until somebody becomes available. That is a very aggressive kind of last resort approach, but it's really advocating for yourself and just being incredibly persistent, and even to the point that you feel like you might be obnoxious this is your health, so you should fight for it. Yeah, that, that, um, and this came up. This came up for me in the conversation we, we had we had with Carolyn was in my particular situation that I like people reached out to me, right, and and in in your and that's because I was in crisis at that particular point in time, mm -hmm. right. So it sound from from what I understand so far, it sounds like. You know, something like behavioral health is set up in a way where, yes, it has a good crisis response. If there is a serious crisis, which I personally was in when, when they reached out to me. Um, on the other hand, if there's no, like, apparent, ostensible, clear external sign that something is wrong right here, right now, we need to yeah. urgently address this, then it seems like it's a much, much more difficult process to actually get the help that you need. One of the big problems across the nation um, is that... Behavioral health Sarah. doesn't have enough resources for the demands that it, um, for, it, it can't meet the demands. And this is in part because there has been a reduction in mental illness stigma. When our parents were in college, it was much more hush-hush and nobody was talking about it as much and now there's not as many resources, but, and there weren't as many resources it was more of a, you know, pull it together mentality. Now, this generation, students who are in college now, we, we have less stigma, we talk about it more, we are more willing to find help, to seek therapy, and that has happened faster than what the colleges can catch up with okay. in terms of resources and therapists. Right. Do you think that's, 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 you know, we're talking about like supply, basic supply and demand issues yeah. here. Like the demand for for this kind of treatment is much higher than the available supply. And I'm and I'm wondering. I'm looking at um, because I've I've uh, close experience with um, addiction as well. One mm -hmm. of the big problems in the field, generally speaking, is just an absence of beds and doctors and therapists. Yeah. Um, that exist in the nation. Yeah. Right. So, so it's more like we literally do not have enough qualified labor to properly address the issues mm -hmm. that we're dealing with right now, and nobody's really talking about it. I, 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 it seems to me that there's a lot of that going on as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a psychology major, and people tell me over and over again, "Oh, there's a demand," which is like, great. Yeah. <laughs> great, um, for me, but it's you know it is sad for, you know, right now. Right. I think also one big thing about behavioral health while being a college student is that we're only here for four years. Many of us, we either are from the Boston area or we're from far, far away, and that depends on where you are in the country. I'm from the Midwest, 
a lot of people I grew up with stayed in the Midwest. So if they have a therapist at it, where they grew up, where they, you know, were born and went to school K through 12, and now they're there in college, that's easy. It's harder when you come from the Midwest and you're here in Boston. I can't Skype with my therapist. Yeah. Um, and then most of us will also leave Boston. Um, so it's very difficult to... Taking care of your mental health is years and years and years of commitment, and we're only at BU for four years. And as college students, our schedules demand more flexibility, um, and that means more cancellation of appointments. Um, so there, you do have to also factor in how kind of um, temporary college mm-hmm. is when committing yourself to going to therapy every week or every other week or being on a prescribed um, psychiatric medication. Um, with every new doctor that you try and get a prescription from, there's an intake yeah. process. And that, 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 that speaks to, I think that also speaks to just the nature of mental illness, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And the nature of your time at, univer- at your university, it, it's by nature a transitory time. Whereas with mental with mental illness, if you're dealing with a serious condition, it is not transitory. It's not necessarily permanent, on the other hand, but it's something that you have to constantly maintain, right? You constantly have to check up on it. So, And it can you, easily be exacerbated right. by stress, and that's academic stress, that's relational stress, that's the, the stress of your friends leaving as they graduate and you don't. So um, do you think... stress at home. Do you think that maybe... maybe like universities and us as students also have to kind of re-envision the way that we, we deal with, with, with mental illness while we're at university to kind of take into account the fact that like we have all of the we have all of these variables that we don't necessarily control as students, like the fact that we're only here for four years, the fact that there are all of these academic pressures, this, that and the other thing. Do you think we have to adapt a model yeah. to, to those kinds of conditions? I think we're still kind of working with and this doesn't go for everybody, there's Many, many, many people our age who know that going to therapy isn't a quick fix. It's not two sessions and you're better. I There's a point in high school that I was in therapy for three years straight. Um, but I think there is this kind of idea about our health. Um, as people in our early 20s, we think we are uh, immoral. And, I mean, <laughs> maybe that too. I yeah. mean, I, immortal. I mean, yeah. Am I saying her? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you got it. You got it. We're gonna live forever. Yeah. And you know, like, <laughs> I have a cough, and you know, I, it'll go away. I'll be fine. Um. But um, we uh, I, I think it's very easy to think about that in mental health as well. Like, oh, it's just a bad week. Oh, it's just another bad week. It's just been a bad year. But you don't have to feel like this. It doesn't have to be this way. And we are just as susceptible as people in our 20s to both physical and mental illness as somebody in their 50s or 60s. And we should be taking both of them quite seriously. But it's really mental illness that can sneak up on you. So you were talking earlier about how you think that the reduction of the stigma is what's causing a lot of, a lot more demand among college students. Do you think it's also uh, the changing nature of our lives on campuses, where we're, um, 
you know, booked with more activities uh, yeah. and maybe more rigorous uh, schoolwork to do? Yeah, um, so again, 50 years ago, uh, colleges were much less um, of a complete institution that they are now. There weren't as many clubs and organizations, not as many internships. Uh, there weren't places like the Howard Thurman Center. It was, you know, sometimes housing, sports. You went to school. You were there to learn. And I think right now, this generation, we're very, very anxious and we're very, very competitive. And we're like, okay, I need to take a full, um, like a full schedule, four classes, but I should also, you know, be working and doing an internship and being the president of everything. Um, and that, that puts more stress on us because we're afraid that maybe if we're not like this, we won't be successful in the future. Do you think that, you said our, we live in a very uh, a generation that has a lot of anxiety. Do you think that our interfacing with technology might have something to do with that? Sort of the social stresses of constantly checking up on uh, other students, or, or I mean our peers and what yeah. they're doing? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I go on Facebook and I'm happy that, I don't know, so-and-so it got like an award for whatever but you know it does it doesn't it does invoke anxiety for everybody else who reads that who feels maybe a little inadequate or unsure and doubtful and that's personally how I feel sometimes but what I do to make myself feel better is that I have a pretty good feeling that everybody around me is as clueless and doubtful and anxious as I am yeah for sure <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all in high, we're all in college and this is literally everyone's first try at it it's not like anyone really has an idea of precisely what they're doing right yeah and so, on Facebook you just see the highlights of everyone's life you don't see any failed tests in the shower. you don't yeah, see it's, totally contrived. It's, it's totally contrived and, and that kind of brings up a, a, another point too that, that that for me is is essential in just dealing with mental illness particularly anxiety and depression mm-hmm. just if the, the the issue for me with with something like facebook or social media generally speaking is that it it enables you to kind of disconnect yourself from direct person to person interaction Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling depressed, like you technically don't have to go out and and talk to people. Right. In today's day and age. Right. You you can you can actually sequester yourself at home and withdraw and still be just as effective communicating because you can get yourself out there. Whereas person to person communication like that's how we evolved. Right. That's. But if you're feeling anxious and you're depressed and. I, and you're just like, I just want to be alone. Yeah. It's incredibly hard to just be alone. True that. True that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so, but so my question is, my question with regards to when I say person-to-person interaction, I'm saying that we need more of it. Yeah. That, that in terms of just approaching each other with regard to mental illness, that if we do so in person, in live, looking each other in the eyes, it does make a difference in terms of building empathy, building compassion, yes. building understanding. And there does need to be more. That's my, that's my personal opinion. I, I completely agree. I think we are, as like this generation, or I don't know, I guess the people around me, or I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as <laughs> what I'm aware of around me, we are so concerned with accomplishing things, which is crazy because we've only been on this planet for like roughly 20 years. I mean, like, 
and half of that was just like I don't know learning how to function in general so we and we're so concerned with accomplishing things and forming a resume and you know being the best you can be that it, it starts to kind of eat away at you a little and there should be more focus on you know maybe I'm not you know the uh, like on the in the Scarlet Key Society but forming more compassionate solid relationships with people such as you know saying I value you you are important to me and I think with all these accomplishments this focus on accomplishments it is so easy to for people to unknowingly build themselves up by indirectly knocking other people down and in my experience I have felt much better bringing other people up than I have ever knocking people down sure. L let me ask this so we're all subject to this environment that we've been discussing for the last couple of minutes and and we're all subject to the stresses of the modern age and the achievement culture. But how does one in the modern college context differentiate between the simple stresses of day-to-day -day college life in the 21st century and a significant mental illness that they need to go get treatment for? That's the million dollar question. Well, I think one of the things that's sort of at least an immediate telltale sign and it's used for diagnosis is if you're feeling sad or depressed for a long period of time, say two weeks or more, that's when it starts to be a bigger cause for concern. But in, in particular, you know, that the, the question you just asked for me really <sighs> illustrates or kind of, kind of really demonstrates why our systems are so much better at responding to crisis than anything else because in a time of crisis it's obvious what's going on right it's not there's no there's very little ambiguity there's very little gray area about somebody who's having a meltdown or who's clearly in serious distress to the point that they can't function on a day-to-day -day basis part of the, the one of the insidious aspects of something like depression and anxiety is that in some cases people compensate by apparently ostensibly on the surface functioning at an even higher level than you yeah. would expect right so so for for somebody who has a, an anxiety disorder they might have a 4.0 gpa because that's the way they compensate for for the anxiety that they're feeling and on its face nobody's going to point to that person and say oh, something's wrong yeah. quite the opposite you so it's a it's, a it's a vicious cycle because people are pointing oh you're doing great like you're doing great in school and all of that your life must be fabulous and at the same time you're living a personal hell on a day-to-day -day basis and I think it's very important for every single individual to you know think every day at one moment do I like what I'm doing do I feel good about myself am I happy in this moment because nobody knows what you're feeling and nobody knows what you're thinking and yes we can have high functioning people who are suffering on the inside and we can have people who are never showing up to class who aren't eating who aren't bathing who have ceased communication and that is a crisis that is much more obvious but I think as humans it is so easy for us to be like it's fine it's, it's fine like yeah. to ourselves and yeah. you know saying it to everybody else but mostly trying to convince yourself I'm fine it's just today it's just today the one that's every day yeah. um, I think it's also so important for people to 
really be very, very honest with themselves and each other, even if it's very uncomfortable and very painful, because that's the first step. That's when the doors yeah. open. Yeah. You can't address a problem unless you acknowledge its existence. And it's, yeah, and it, it sucks to, you know, say I'm not happy, it feels bad, but... It's kind of cathartic, though. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I, that's the... Yeah, if you don't say anything, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, and I think that that could be, at a certain point, the, the tough part about deciding when to seek help is because if we're going by the two-week two marker, which is the generally clinically approved, um, or at least clinically what, what the clinicians say, that if you, you know... According to the DSM-5. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's really hard to say at a certain point, well, two weeks ago was I, you know, feeling depressed or was I having a stressful day where I just had, a, like, a lot of homework or something? You know, it's how do you start picking out, well, this date I started feeling this way? And maybe, maybe you can speak to this a little bit as a, uh, as a psychology major. Like, that, that one, of the, one of the issues, we're talking about a diagnostic difficulty right there. That's a, that's a technical empirical difficulty, right? I, from my, from my, my, my experience, one of, the, one of the really hard things about mental illness is that it's, it's so it's so um, nebulous like we can't actually define its contours in, in a way yeah. that would allow us to robustly solidly establish an empirical basis for evaluation and mm -hmm. that's part of what's so challenging can you, can, can you speak to that as a, as a psych major? Well not so much as a psych major but I think as somebody who also experiences mental illness um, when I was in high school I was very dangerously mentally ill I was very depressed and I journaled a lot and I, I was in crisis and I got help because somebody reached out to me but I remember looking back at these journals and like writing every day and I was like oh my god I was really depressed and so maybe and I know it's such a cliche to be like journal but maybe like just like just to assess how was today yeah. and then you can look back that's something that um, also somebody I'm also somebody very invested in medicine, I track my own symptoms. Yeah. So I'll be like, I don't know, uh, like April 5th, fever 101.4, aches, chills, yeah. and so on and so forth. But see, that's, but that's a comprehensive approach. Yeah. Like yeah. You, have, you have an integrated system that you go about I've on a daily to do exactly that. Yeah. exactly and as somebody who's been through the process as well in the same way like I'm mm -hmm. constantly monitoring to see for for those for those warning signs but unless and uh, and until mm -hmm. you get the help that you need to equip yourself with you that that's not that's not right right that's when, not that's not yeah. inherent to you as a, as a as a human being like you don't go around like monitoring yourself on a day-to-day -day basis unless it's demonstrated to you what the value and the importance of that is and, and its utility to you on a day-to-day -day basis well as, let's say that you're somebody thing. let's say that you're somebody who maybe thinks you're struggling from depression or anxiety or something else and you're not really quite sure it is so so valuable to just go around and kind of like ask people like do I how do I seem recently do I seem depressed do I and um because other people will they will bring it up and they will know before you will that's the weird thing yeah yeah at the beginning at the beginning of the semester I was experiencing a incredible amount of anxiety and it would always start on Mondays and dwindle down into a depression on Fridays and I was, my medications got switched because somebody came to me and said, you, you seem frantic. 
and it's that kind of because if I seem frantic to that that one person I'm gonna seem frantic to other people and I went to who I see at behavioral health and said somebody told me I seem frantic and now that they said that I feel like I have been frantic so it's both mm. reaching out to others and saying how do I seem recently but it's also being willing to volunteer that information to other people. Yeah. And I think especially when we're, re we're seeing people reach out to mental health services and sort of treating crises versus these sort of situations that behavioral medicine takes longer to get back to, yeah. I think in terms of someone reaching out to behavioral medicine, especially um, when considering depression and anxiety, that should be a big red flag enough that someone, even though they have these symptoms and they're dealing with these illnesses, they've taken the, taken the initiative to reach out and ask for help and acknowledge that they're dealing with this stress. And if you don't have someone like a professor to do that for you, you might only do that once. And if you don't re receive a response, you might feel like, oh, that's... Why bother? Yeah, you know, why, that, why that bother? That could feed into that depression exactly. voice saying you're nothing. Oh, it'll, it'll totally exacerbated yeah. for sure. The, and the depression voice of, oh, it's not behavioral medicine that's too busy. It's me that's being a bother. Yeah. Or I'm a problem that and they don't want to deal with me. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, and, and that, yeah, that makes it, that, that just makes it even harder. Um, well, also I would, you know, go ahead and recommend that services there are also services at CARD, and there are therapists at Danielson Institute, which is on Bay State Road. Um, and of course, there's, you know, this isn't the greatest recommendation, but there's, you know, providers outside of BU. Sometimes that's difficult finding the right fit in the therapist, finding somebody in your insurance network, somebody who is nearby. Uh, that's, I mean, it, it really is a struggle. Yeah. And sometimes it is not necessarily being in crisis, but, you know, even talking to your primary physician who can hook you up or even going into the ER and saying, I'm not in crisis, but nobody is helping me. Can we, uh, can we ask you just about, you know, when you got to Boston, setting that up for yourself, um, perhaps uh, setting up an infrastructure for yourself when you were not in a time of crisis, but when you knew you'd need that infrastructure for the next for your next three years in Boston? And if you could talk a little bit about SHS, uh, behavioral yeah. health, Specific, your experience yeah. with your behavioral yeah. health Specifically behavioral well. health, yeah. Um, so when I came to BU, I got set up with a general physician at behavioral health, um, I mean, not behavioral health, at general student health services, um, just for your basic physical stuff. Um, it wasn't until my, I'm a transfer student, it wasn't until my second semester here at BU as a sophomore that um, I struggled with a lot of depression and, you know, I just made an appointment. And I know that sounds like crazy easy because for some people it's just, it seems impossible. I, I do remember there was a wait and I, I am aware that there are a lot of, um, complaints about wait times, and this goes back to the supply and demand. Um, but the person that I'm seeing, she's a nurse practitioner. I've been seeing her for, I guess, about five semesters now, um, changing medication about every semester. And most recently, 
the struggles I've had with behavioral health was that my nurse practitioner um, was out for a very, very long um, medical leave that um, was not from date A to date B. It was, um, I would make an appointment and then the day before they would call me up and say, she's not going to be in. I can schedule you for the same time next week. And then at the third time this happened, uh, I unfortunately yelled at the scheduling person, even though it was not that person's fault, um, saying, you know, I, I make time. I say no to other people so I can say yes to this person. You're scheduling me. And at this point I had, I was, I was out of some of my medications. Um, and, uh, what ended up happening, so of course, because the scheduling person was not the person I should be talking to, she said, well, I can just schedule you for next week. And what I did um, was I called the medical director of Student Health Services, Judy Platt, and I said, this is what's happening. This is the third appointment that has been canceled. I'm out of medication. I am not just concerned for myself, but this nurse practitioner must have other patients. Why hasn't I would expect that her patients would be divided up and given to other people who are working right now um, I'm concerned for myself but there's also you know nobody who's kind of helping out these other students who don't know what to do and um, I was very surprised by um, the response that I got um, it was a wonderful response um, I was uh, immediately changed to uh, a different person um, and I got the medications that I need but that that was a rare and good response and I think one of the reasons it worked out so well is again persistence mm-hmm. confidence um, you know yeah, calling you up and saying for yourself in a that's big a big way. thing um, and I think one of the things that's always very scary for students is this word drug seeking behavior um because you know some psychiatric meds if you take ample amounts of them uh you you get high yeah and not only that you develop a dependency as well yeah yeah so i think it's very hard for some students to come in and say you know this is i i need this medication it's a controlled substance i know it but um and then like oh drug seeking behavior but kind of very candidly, what I said to Dr. Platt is, I am seeking drugs because otherwise I cannot function. I, I, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just, it's again goes back to tracking your symptoms. And, you know, I said to her, I'm just not functioning. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm having trouble eating my relationships are falling apart. I can't sit through my classes more than halfway. I feel like I'm out of control, anxious. Um, Because it's again, advocating for yourself. Nobody knows how you feel or how you're behaving unless you tell somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's what's scary. What's scary to me is that, you know, it took, it took you straight up calling the head of, of, of student services and, and basically saying, look, like, this is the situation, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in other cases, you know, some, some, a person who may not be inclined to reach out in that way and assert themselves in that way, just go, I don't know, weeks, months yeah. without treatment, 
Yeah. And if you're dealing with serious symptoms, mm-hmm. that that can have serious repercussions. Not little ones, huge. Because you don't know what the ramifications are. Yeah, and then there's always this concern of my grades, my grades, I'm not going to class, my... Your life on a day-to-day yeah. basis stops. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, someone who's reached out to mental health once might not be inclined to do so again <laughs> if they're consistently being denied... Like saying, oh, <laughs> like the, the, if the skeleton is just saying, oh, like we'll schedule you for next week, we'll schedule you for next week, it's kind of just saying, okay, we're going to put off what you're dealing with another week, and we're not really going to advocate for you. We're going to not really do anything unless you advocate so strongly for yourself like you did. Well, it's not just advocating for yourself at behavioral health. If, we, if the next appointment is two weeks from now, from when you can get in, it's, you know, calling up your parents, talking to your teachers, you know, just saying, look, I'm not doing okay right now. I can't get in for another two weeks. Will you help me? But do you think, in terms of communicating with your teachers specifically, a lot of times there's a relationship between the student and the teacher where the there's this underlying assumption that the student is trying to get away with something, right? And so uh, do you think because of that underlying assumption that that characterizes a lot of interactions between students and teachers that it, it would be easy for a student to go to a teacher and say hey look I'm dealing with this right now I can't uh, I can't you know do this specific assignment if the symptoms aren't super evident so for example uh, in Matthias's case we had a situation where obviously there was something that was very easily yeah. identifiable and, yeah, the, and the circumstantially it was clear I mean basically exactly. what happened I, I two two very close friends of mine commit, commit suicide in the span of three months and I had a midterm like the next week and I went to my professor I was like look like I can't I just can't mm-hmm. um, I don't even know and and he actually reached out to SHS on my behalf so mm-hmm. I had behavioral health call me directly rather than seek them out yeah. which is why I say like in a crisis situation they respond very quickly right but in a situation, yeah, in a situation where, where it's not necessarily it's an not clear crisis. that I'm doing yeah. I'm, I'm doing horribly or, or that I'm yeah. really struggling to get out of bed in the morning that I you know that I'm a teacher, how, how, do you, yeah. Yeah. how does a teacher evaluate? How does a teacher know? Yeah, and this isn't a criticism of a teacher. It's how do we train the teachers to know the difference between a student who's trying to get out of some work that they have to do and a student who legitimately is not functioning well. <laughs> it's an important, like, I mean... Sorry. It's a, well, to, to me, yeah, the reason, the, reason, the reason I'm making the squeaking... The reason, my, the reason I make the squeaking noises is that, is that for me, like, it's so hard to tell. Yeah. They're so, they're, they're, they're so, we, don't, we literally don't know how to approach this. Right, where I, I feel I feel like yeah. that we have to start with the fact that all of us are really ignorant, really, about how to approach mental health. We don't have we're young, hot messes in a building. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a beautiful way of saying it. Like this is exactly what's going on. We have to accept that and then try to figure it out from there. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, um, I would if I'm. If I'm about to walk into a professor's office with legitimate reason why I cannot turn something in, I will not even talk about academics first. I will just say, hey, you know, you, I, I feel very connected to you as a professor and I just want to talk to you about, you know, I'm not doing so great right now, I don't know who to talk to, um, because most, most people have, or not most, but a large number of the adults that we work with here at BU have experienced mental health problems themselves, and so it's not so much going in and saying, 
hey, I'm not doing so well, I can't turn in this paper. It's saying, it's talking first about how you feel. Because As a human that's being before yeah. a student, before being a student. Yeah, you're, because you're that's what's human. important. This paper's not important. In thirty years nobody nobody cares. Yeah. Like in three weeks nobody cares. And that will make a professor much more receptive if they hear first what is going on in your life as a person, and then let's talk about the academics. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I, I think you know, I, a lot of what you're saying is, is, is wonderful to hear for me too because they're because you're identifying this, this, this core part of mental illness, I mm-hmm. think, that starts with yourself and that you're, you're taking responsibility for what's going on in your life, you know? Like, you're, you're saying, look, like, this is not where I want to be. Yeah. And I'm going to do something about it. And that, and, and that, I think, first and foremost, is, is super important just to you as an individual, right? Because it's empowering. You're not, some, you're, you're not, you're not a victim of, of, your, of your personal circumstances. You can reach out and do something about it. And and I think that to start to start with that is 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 is, is huge. Um, it takes a lot of courage too. It's not easy to do to to admit no, to yourself that it's... that that you're not where you want to be. Because it puts you in a place of vulnerability, and not just expressing that you're vulnerable to yourself, but others around you. And I think we're very afraid to make ourselves appear vulnerable. But it's also very achievement society, baby. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very um, humanizing to say to somebody else and to hear from somebody else, look, I'm vulnerable yeah. at moments. Yeah. And there are times when I'm not vulnerable and I feel very confident, but that's not all the time. For behavioral health specifically, like what do you think, what, 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 do you, what do you see and say, like we need to do a better job of this or we need to do a better job of that? Um, is, there any, is, is there any specific thing or, or yeah. do you, okay. Yeah. Uh, we need more qualified, not qualified, we need more experienced therapists. Boston is a therapy hub. We have a lot of um, people who, um, they, you know, get their training in Boston and they need a first job and, you know, working at a university. Um, behavioral health is a good entry job, but you need experience. I've been in a therapy group where um, the person I was working with was trying to read me like a textbook when, you know, it wasn't there. Um, uh, More staff um, and experienced mental health professionals that can be mentors to um, anybody who's fresh out of training. Um, I think in addition, scheduling needs to change. So right now, whenever I leave my appointment, they say, okay, Here's the next appointment. Can you make it? I say yes. They write it on a card, and I, and I go for it. And it's usually two weeks. What they should change to is open open access scheduling, which is in two weeks or in how many ever weeks I will call you, with my next available slot. And this is very frustrating for students, but this overall reduces the number of missed appointments, because if you have to wait a while to even know when you're coming when you get to come over it it makes it 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 inclines people not to miss their appointments which whenever you miss an appointment at behavioral health or student health services there's somebody sitting there that could be seeing a patient right uh and that that, that's a that's another thing like it shouldn't like you you just said what you're talking about is the opportunity cost of somebody making 
you know, I don't know, an impulsive decision not to show up. Yeah. That could have or sometimes you oversleep. Yeah. Shit happens. You're in East Canvas and you're like, God, I just hate the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I have to walk. <laughs> I feel. So. I feel, I feel. Anything else, guys? I think that's it. Um, <clears throat> thanks for Thank thanks you. for coming. Yeah, Thank you so no much problem. for, Thank for you talking so much. And, and for sharing your wisdom. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you to Emmy Parks for speaking with us. Stay tuned for the next two episodes in the series, including our interview with Dr. Landa. And be sure to come to Coffee and Conversation at 3 p.m. on Friday, October 14th. You can get updated about our new releases by signing up on our website, bucommonthread.com, and you can find us on iTunes as well. We hope this conversation was enlightening and you'll come back for more. Until then, we'll keep looking for the common thread.